You're listening to the Fellowship on Broadway podcast from First Baptist Nashville. Let me just start uh, by, by saying thank you to everyone who has uh, reached out in the last few weeks with um, text messages and phone calls and emails and kind words in the hallway to both me and Becca. Um, she's out of town this weekend, but she sends her love. Um, Many of you, most of you know that Brandon and I were really close friends and have been for a long time. And so um, the last few weeks and months have been all over the place emotionally, and it's been, it's been challenging. And, um, you know, five years ago, Pastor Frank called me and said, hey, do you want to be the interim youth pastor? And I said, no. <laughs> um, I didn't really see myself doing that. And... And just because of a lot of things, I said, okay, maybe I should give this a shot. Not really ever expecting that I would become the youth pastor full-time and that um, I, would, I would be here for nearly five years. And it kind of felt the same way over the past few weeks as these conversations started about me um, stepping into this role. And, and I think I'm happy about that. I'm th- I think I'm glad that I don't just think, oh, yeah, I'm going to be awesome at this, you know, um, because I feel the weight of what it means to proclaim the word on a weekly basis, and, um, you know, would you, would, you, would you know that last November, before knowing any of this was going to take place, I signed up for two classes in seminary this quarter, and I signed up for preaching and missional church leadership, <laughs> and so God has been working in me and through me, and, and so I'm really excited, and I'm, I'm thankful for y'all, and, you know, Jason, I think, gets to fly under the radar a little bit as the worship leader, but he is so integrally, integral, integrally involved, he's so integral, in, in making this service happen every week, and, and he's part of our leadership team for the entire church. I'm so thankful for him and, and the rest of our staff. Um, so, so, yeah, thank you. I'm excited. I'm nervous. Um, I'm all the things. Um, so our sermon series to start 2019 has, has been looking at different ways that we can build momentum and purpose into our lives. And last week, Pastor Frank helped us dive into Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And the analogy that those verses use is that of a race. It talks about running a race and that we, we build momentum by breaking free of the things that drag us down and that hinder us, and we keep our eyes focused on Christ. So Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 uses that race analogy. And there's, there's a couple of times in the New Testament in particular that the race and running is used as a metaphor for other things. And even as I say that, you might be thinking of the verse that, I, that I'm thinking about. Can anyone, without putting it on the screen, can anyone quote 2 Timothy 4, 7? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is Paul writing in 2 Timothy. It's, it's a very famous verse. We read it. And what I want to do this morning is just kind of spread this out a little bit and look at the verse before it and after it and kind of see what the context is here. Um, because it's so famous that I think we often miss it. So going back to verse 6, 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. I'm reading from the ESV. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid upon for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
So you see, 2 Timothy 4, 7 comes in the midst and in the middle of what we could rightly call Paul's last will and testament. He's looking at his life, he's reflecting on it, he's looking at it now, and he's looking at it in the future, and he realizes that his race has come to an end. It is nearing its end. And so he's reflecting on his life. He's reflecting on his ministry. And because verse 7 is so famous and verse 6 is so strange, I think we just ignore verse 6 often. But let's go back and read that again. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. What does that mean? Well, a drink offering, I've got a picture here to kind of show you. A drink offering or a libation is something that um, the original readers of this text, the original people that Paul was writing to, would have been very familiar with. It was a common practice of their day in the ancient Near East to pour wine out over an offering as part of a sacrificial ceremony. That's what a drink offering is. So Paul is using this vivid mental picture to refer to his own life in sacrificial terms. I am already being poured out. This fits with the overall theme of 2 Timothy, which essentially serves as one big call to perseverance. Paul talks about being steadfast in in persecution and about being true despite sufferings. 2 Timothy isn't like really cheery. It's, It's about, man, life is hard, and are you willing to persevere? Are you willing to offer your life to God even in the midst of that? He's encouraging believers to suffer willingly for the gospel. The good news that is Jesus Christ and the good news of the kingdom of God, Paul says in 2 Timothy, are we willing to suffer for that because we need to be? And so if you, if you look in the, the cross-references, of thanks AP, I learned about cross-references this week in the student Bible study. Um, if you look at the cross-references of 2 Timothy 4.6, you'll probably notice that it's pointing you towards Philippians 2.17. So I want to jump around and show you a couple of different verses to kind of set the stage for for where we're going this morning. But you can turn to Philippians 2. And Paul uses the same phrase in verse 17. But I want to back up again and read verses 14 through 18. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain. There's running again. Or labor in vain. And verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. There's a lot going on in those four verses, but what I want you to notice is that Paul here does not just speak of himself as being poured out. He then names the sacrifice on which he is being poured. And it is the faith of those he is writing to. Look at the language of that. Even if, he's saying this, doesn't, this isn't like something that's easy to do. Even if says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. He, he knows it's not pretty, but what is his response? I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad 
and rejoice with me. So twice, in two different letters to two different churches, Paul uses this metaphor of a drink offering to show how both he and his listeners, which, which means us, should joyfully be willing to sacrifice ourselves for our faith. One is in the context of, of suffering, and talking about suffering comes, but we need to be sacrificial. We need to give our lives to this. In the Philippians, there's, there's been a bunch of issues going on with this church in Philippi, and Paul is writing to correct them and shape them and saying, this is hard, but you need to be a sacrifice. And so it begs the question, why is he saying this? Why do we need to pour ourselves out? Why do we need to be willing to be sacrificial with our faith? Let's turn to one more passage together. This time, Paul writing to the church in Rome. Romans 12 is where I'm going to be. Just the first two verses. This time I'm going to read from the NIV. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I know many of you are familiar with the book of Romans. It is an important work in in the Bible, and it's an important work in the, the writings of the Apostle Paul. And we get a lot of theology in the book of Romans. It can be hard to wrap our minds around it. My dad is just bought like three books from N.T. Wright, and he has said, I'm going to study Romans, and I'm really going to know what Paul's getting at here, and he's probably going to spend the entire year 2019 in this because it's so thick and it's so rich and there's so much going on. But one of the things about Romans that helps us is that structurally there is a major division in it. This is very common in many of Paul's letters. And, and it, basically this moment where he shifts gears. And these first two verses of Romans chapter 12 represent one of those shifts. Where Paul is switching gears. And the, the hinge point is this word, which Pastor Frank talked about last week for Hebrews, therefore. When you see the word therefore in the Bible, what do you do? What is the therefore, therefore? And in Romans, we see that in chapters 1 through 8 and then chapters 9 through 11, Paul has been doing this deeply theological discourse on who Jesus is, on what he has done for us, and what this means for us, for our lives, for our eternity. And so the therefore, there's been a few therefores in Romans, but the therefore here at the beginning of chapter 12 means that Paul is saying what I'm about to say next next, is in response to everything that has come before it. So in light of all that God has done for us through Christ, therefore, and then he's going to start teaching. He's shifting gears. He's moving into an exhortation about what our lives need to look like because of Jesus. And that's what the next few chapters of Romans are about through 16. And these, these two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2, are, are the thesis statement for everything that follows. Back to verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I imagine Paul saying, all this that I've explained to you, I'm summing up as God's mercy. 
Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Why, why are we to become sacrifices? The question I said was so important. Because this is what true worship looks like. Once again, the, the language here of sacrifice is vivid, but there's a twist, right? Because Paul's readers would have been very familiar with this idea of sacrifice. It's a custom that they would have known and been familiar with. But, but church, tell me, what, what happens to a sacrifice? It dies. It's dead. But Paul calls them to be a living sacrifice. Sometimes laying down our lives does not mean death. But it's certainly a new way of living because it's sacrificial living. Our response to all that God has done for us through Jesus is not just to, to believe him in our hearts or our minds, to believe in him, to trust him. It's to give him our bodies, our entire lives, as living sacrifices. We have to give everything to him. We pour ourselves out before God as an offering. This is true and proper worship. Worship is not just singing. Worship is our actions. Worship is our words. Worship is how you treat the barista at your local coffee shop. Worship is what you think about. Worship is, is what your goals and your dreams are. Everything about your life is an act of worship. Are you worshiping Jesus with your life? Is, is your life an offering in every sense of the word to God because of what Christ has done for you? A good way to, to think about that real practically is in, in what ways do I sense myself resisting that in my life? I want to give God th this thing over here but when it comes to this thing over here, that's going to be mine. I'm going to keep that for myself. Now look at verse 2 as you think about that. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the phrase, this world, hints again at something deeply theological that we see throughout Paul's writing. And it's the idea of this world and a difference between this world and God's world. Other places we see it written as this present age and the age to come. So this present age or this world is defined by sin and brokenness and rebellion against God. But God's world or, or the age to come is, is defined by peace and healing and restoration. You read it in the Bible, Jesus talks about how God is making all things new. This present age versus the age to come. And the hinge point for that is the death and resurrection of Jesus. He, through his life and his death and his resurrection, he gives us access to this kingdom of God. He gives us access to this age to come. Not only when we die, y'all, listen, not only when we die, but right here and right now. That's good news. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, that's this present age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is what the kingdom of God at work looks like, that our minds and our lives are being transformed and renewed. So immediately after telling 
his listeners, his readers in verse 1, that they need to offer their bodies as living sacrifices, Paul warns against conforming to the patterns of this world. I did a little bit of studying. Paul, Paul wrote Romans somewhere in the 50s A.D., at then, in time of Rome, the, the, the Jews had gotten kicked out a few years before, but now they were back, and there was this strange Christian community of both Jews and Gentiles. They were figuring out how all of this was working together. And he's, he says this thing about not conforming to the world. He wrote this literally almost 2,000 years ago, but doesn't it feel like it was written to us last week? Because isn't it true that when we ask ourselves that tough question, where am I holding back, a lot of times it's, it's the expectations of our culture and the expect, expectations of our world that make us want to kind of keep things from being an offering to God? Now, I'm not going to stand up here week by week and bash culture because I think we need to be curators of culture and not, and not put ourselves in a bubble. But when you think about the patterns of this world for us, how that applies to us today, just think about that. Think about the things that our culture, that our world tells us is most important. It, we, we can talk about money. We can talk about notoriety and success. I think if we look underneath just a little bit, we're talking about power and we're talking about privilege. On the surface, we're talking about how many likes you can get on that thing that you just posted. We're talking about how you should compare yourself to people you don't even know who've made their lives look perfect on the internet. Talking about the corporate ladder? What, what, what are you talking? What are you thinking? What is your culture saying? You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. And for me, the, the bottom line for all of it is that we live in a culture that tells us that everything is about us. Immediate gratification. You do what makes you happy. You are the thing that matters most. So seek your own fulfillment and your own joy. Here's the problem. That is an anti-gospel. That is not who God is calling us to be, and that is not who Jesus is, is showing us how to be. Paul says, be transformed. Renew your mind. Become a living sacrifice. You cannot do any of those things if you are completely focused on yourself. I'm looking at you, but I'm speaking to me as well. Transformation, renewal. Sacrificial living. What does that look like? There's a big word, sanctification, which is part of the salvation process. It means to be made more holy, to become more like Jesus. What does sanctification look like in our lives? How do we pursue this process of being transformed? Well, one, we have to convince ourselves that what our culture and our world is telling us is most important to us is actually not true. And one of the ways that we do that is that we read God's word. We study God's word. We let it seep into our lives. There's all the church answers, right? There's, there's reading the Bible. There's spending time in prayer. I'm not saying that church answers are wrong. You need to spend time praying and meditating on God's word and spending time with the Lord. You need to show up at church and spend time rubbing shoulders with the people next to you and doing life together. And you need to learn from others around you in community. These are all good things. Have, but here's something. Think about this. Have you taken, everybody's busy, right? Everybody's busy. Have you taken four minutes in the past four months to just stop and reflect on your life? To just slow down and go through a reflection process and think about where you're at and what you're doing and what your goals and your dreams and what the rhythms of your life look like? Because maybe one of the ways of allowing yourself to be transformed is to slow down and invite God in. And from there, perhaps you can say, oh, I need to build a new rhythm or a new practice into my life. 
because this area of my life is all about me and I want it to be an offering to God. This is a process, right? It's not something that's going to happen really fast. There it goes. The first time it didn't make any sound. Um, That was funnier than you acted. It takes hard work. This is... This is what sacrifice looks like, is it's doing the hard work, this transformative work. It's not just doing it on your own, but it's inviting Jesus to be part of it. It is very easy to post a photo on the Internet and get a bunch of likes and feel good about yourself. It takes a lot of hard work to pursue transformation and renewal. But when we do this, when we pursue this transformed life, look what it says happens. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't know about y'all, but I want to live in God's will. And I think this verse is saying that if I'm all about myself all the time, I'm not going to be able to hear that. In this busy world of of looking to myself and only wanting what's best for me and selfishness, how am I supposed to hear God in that? But when when you pursue transformation, when you pursue renewal, when you allow God to get into your life and you offer your life as a living sacrifice, what happens? Then you can hear God's will. You can test it and you can know it. Discernment, that's what this is. It's a process of discernment and saying, God, I want your will for my life. So, So that's the benefit. If if I'm offering you anything this morning, I'm saying, hey, some of you are going, I don't know what's next for me, and I want to know what God's will is, and I want to live in God's will. But I don't know what that looks like. And so very practically, Paul says, do not conform. Be transformed. Be renewed. That's how you press into what God's will is for you. That's how you know what it looks like. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not here this morning just to tell you what you get out of this deal. I wish that that was, I honestly wish that's what it said. You should do this because you're going to get something great out of it. But remember where this started. Romans 12, 1, therefore, in view of God's mercy. So when we let the reality of all that God has done for us through Christ, when we let that sink in, the overwhelming and beautiful reality of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, that we have grace and freedom that we can never fully understand, but that it is offered to us no matter what. Wherever you're sitting this morning, no matter how screwed up you are, it is there for you. When we let that sink in, the only right response to what Jesus has done for us is to give our lives to him as living sacrifices. Yes, we get the benefit of being able to test and know what God's will is. But, but this starts with the reality that when we let this sink in, this is the only right response. If we believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that he's done what he said he did and what we believe he has done, then, then it makes no sense for us to live our life any, lives any way else than to pour them out for Jesus, than to be living sacrifices. So I have a couple questions for you. Where, where are you today in all of this? Where are you today when it comes to your life being a living sacrifice in response to all that Jesus has done for you? 
the good news for me is that I don't have to stand up here and tell you I think you're all doing a bad job because I don't. I see so many people's lives in this room that are defined by sacrificial living. You're, you're doing it. We are doing it. We are, we are working towards it. We are not all broken and, and, and to be filled with shame in this moment. But I think if I know you well enough and I know myself well enough, we might all be willing to say that we have further to go. That we could do more. That we could block out the patterns of this world and we could lean into more transformation. So what does that look like for you? Are you willing to do some of that work, that reflection that I mentioned? Are you willing to press into God's word more? Are you, are you willing to spend more time in prayer every morning? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you check social media before you talk to Jesus in the morning? Uh-oh. What happens if we just say, God, I want you to transform me, and I'm going to break some habits that aren't helping me do that because I want you to be what I pour my life out for. This is not easy work. Sometimes it's going to be filled, as 2 Timothy says, with pain and suffering and lots of drama. It's going to be challenging. But I believe this is the life that we are called to as those who have chosen to follow Christ. We offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices. And I believe when we do this, y'all, that the such good news is that God meets us with more grace and more love than we can ever imagine. If you want to press into this even more this week, many of you know Oswald Chambers who wrote a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest, and he dives into two of these passages on February 5th and 6th. So just go back a few weeks and read it and listen to this quote. Tell God you are ready to be poured out as an offering, and God will prove himself to be all you ever dreamed he would be. I'm going to invite Jason to, to come back up, and he's going to lead us in a song. Just take a moment and close your eyes. Uh, don't worry about the people around you. I just ask you this morning, again, where are you in this? In what ways do you sense yourself resisting being poured out? being a living sacrifice? And are you willing this morning to simply let this, this moment be an opportunity for you to say, Jesus, I, I want to surrender to you. I need more of you and less of myself. I want to be transformed. I want to be renewed. invite him to help you confess to him your sin tell him that you're ready Jesus take our lives take our lives Fellowship on Broadway is a worship service at First Baptist Church in downtown Nashville, and we'd love for you to join us on Sundays. 